Good morning, KBC. My name is Patrick Mboko. Uh, I'm bringing you a word today. We've been going through the letter of 1 Peter in a series titled Hope in Times of Fear. Just in the last two weeks, I've looked at 1 Peter 1 and 2, and I'll be looking at 1 Peter 3 today. Tissi reminded us that this is the same Peter who had had his ups and downs as he walked with Christ. And yet he is the one who was writing a letter to the suffering disciples who had been scattered everywhere in Asia Minor. And they've been scattered due to persecution. Tissi then observed that our past, however messy, does not disqualify us from Christian service. And Peter is a good example of this. Remember that Peter betrayed Jesus, yet in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus had pronounced over Peter that the church would be established on him as a rock. In the sermon of last week, Jesus subtitled his message, Growing Through the Storm, and stressed that in tough times, the temptation is to hunker down and wait out the storm. But in fact, this should be times of growth as long as your perspective is right. And he told us that that perspective entails that one takes in the word of God, establishes their true foundation, which is Christ, knows their true identity, which is who you are in Christ Jesus, and then discovers and lives out their purpose. And that purpose is to proclaim the excellence of God. This morning, I want to focus on 1 Peter 3, 8-22, and I've picked my title from the New King James Version, which titles verses 8 to 12, Called to Blessing. My paraphrase title is Called to be a Blessing in Spite of the Circumstances. Before I go to 1 Peter uh, 3, 8 to 22, let me just give a synopsis of the first seven verses of 1 Peter 3, which is really a continuation from chapter 2, and particularly chapter 2, 11 and 12. In verse 12, Peter is urging his audience to have honorable conduct among the Gentiles, which will then lead the Gentiles to glorify God when they observe their good conduct. By this good conduct, Peter then urges them to be submissive to the government, that's in 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17, servants to be submissive to their masters, that's 1 Peter 2, 18 to 25, wives to submit to their husbands, that's 1 Peter, 1, 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6. And then ask the husbands to love their wives. That's 1 Peter 3, 7 to 8. He then from verse 8 moves on to a different matter, which is what I want to look at this morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is active and living. And we thank you for your word this morning uh, that I feel, Lord, is a practical word, it's not theological, it's not philosophical, but it's a word that is calling us to action. And so, Father, I want to pray for everyone who's listening to me this morning that you begin stirring them up, stirring up uh, their hearts and their minds uh, to a call to action as we go through this passage. So, Holy Spirit, I invite you into every home, into every screen. I invite you to begin a work, to begin a good work, and that, Lord, your work will find hearts that are receptive. So come, Holy Spirit, come and be with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Call to blessing. 
Please turn with me to 1 Peter 3, 8-22, and I'm reading from the New King James Bible. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Verse 10, for he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revive their good conduct in Christ will be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us baptism, and not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. In verse 9, Peter says that you should not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. On the contrary, the contrary to evil and reviling, blessing. Knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. TC pointed out last week that the temptation in the times we are in, with the pandemic, basically times when we are going through extreme challenges, the temptation is to take a deliberate pause in the spiritual journey rather than power through and grow. Another thing that happens when times are challenging is a shift in focus from what is positive to what is negative. It's easier to look at the problems engulfing you and forget that even in the midst of turmoil, there are positive things going on. This past week, I was watching a documentary on Hurricane Dorian that devastated the Bahamas in 2019 and went down as the worst natural disaster in that area's recorded history. It was a Category 5 hurricane, but some experts actually went as far as saying that perhaps it's time we had a Category 6 classification because Dorian far surpassed what a Category 5 hurricane does. It caused an estimated damage 
of 5.1 billion dollars. It left 70,000 people homeless. It killed 84, and another 245 were left missing. Now, the documentary I was watching focused not on the destruction wreaked uh, by Dorian, but on a group of local jet skiers who risked their lives in the midst of the storm to go out with their jet skis to save the lives of people that were being threatened with the winds and the rising waters. They didn't have to do it, but they realized that their jet skis were the only things that could navigate through what was going on, and that they are the only ones who could help those who are in dire need, despite the peril to themselves. And as I was reading this passage in 1 Peter 3, I realized that even with our TV networks, whenever disaster strikes, and you all know this is true, they'll focus day after day after day on the destruction that's going on. So that if you watch, say, TV for three continuous days, you almost always reach a point of giving up as nothing good seems to be happening. If you're a student of history, you will know that one of the things that would happen during the world wars, and even more recent wars, is that both sides in the conflict will spend a lot of money and effort spinning tales of doom and gloom and propaganda targeted at the other side, and almost never will you hear a good story about the enemy. The spin doctors want to create an environment that is so desperate and hopeless that the enemy will give up in dejection. And even now, as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to affect the world, a lot of negative narrative fills the airwaves around the vaccines, for instance, their efficacy, the risks, the discrimination towards certain nation states in supply of the vaccine, the damage to the world economies, and not forgetting the continual reporting of infections and fatalities, and the new variants that are being discovered across the globe. And recently, we've even seen a returning of evil for evil, or reviling for reviling being played out amongst the nations. When one nation blocks its borders to one country, that country retaliates by blocking its borders to the other. Or when quarantine measures are introduced against entrance to one country, then that country retaliates in the same way. And if I bring it down to us, you and I, idle talk amongst us nowadays is fast moving from talking about the weather and traffic jams to the daily infection rates of the coronavirus and fatalities to even the finer details of who you know who is infected or has passed away due to the virus. If it's not about infections and fatalities, it's about job layoffs, business closures due to dwindling businesses. Basically, it's just doom and gloom. And in the span of a few days, if you just keep yourself in that uh, environment, it's very possible to find yourself in a bog of misery and helplessness due to the negativity all around us. Do you identify? Are you a contributor to this negative narrative? In 1 Peter 2.9, Peter has told his audience, and this is a famous passage you all know, he's told his audience that they are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, God's special people, called out from darkness into his marvelous light. And then in 1 Peter 2.12, he has asked them to have honorable conduct before the Gentiles, so that God may be glorified. And now in 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9, 
He tells them to be of one mind, to have compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted and courteous. And instead of being evil and reviling to those who be evil and rebelling towards them, to be a blessing because they have been called to be a blessing. In the times that we are living in, where are the kind of people like the jet skiers in Bahamas? And where aren't we hearing stories that are similar to those guys? That in the midst of all the doom and gloom, that is this group of people who are different, they are contrary to what's going on. Are you such a person? Do you know such people? And if you're not, why aren't you like them? Let me ask this in another way. What makes you know that you're not only called to be a blessing, but you actually become a blessing? How do you move from knowledge to action? Now remember from last week, TC explained that one of the ways you grow in the midst of a storm is discovering and living out your purpose. This discovery is done when you truly understand that you are a part of the chosen generation, chosen by God. You are God's special person, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. When this becomes your clarion call, then you understand that that purpose includes the call to be a blessing. In other words, the call to be a blessing is only answered by those who know they have been chosen by God into his marvelous light. Let me repeat that. The call to be a blessing is only answered by those who know they've been chosen by God into his marvelous light. Peter then in 1 Peter 3, uh, verse 10 to 12, lays out how this works. He says this, One, you must refrain your tongue from evil, and lips from speaking deceit. That's verse 10. You must turn away from evil and do good. That's verse 11. You must not only seek, but pursue peace. The second part of verse 11. And then in verse 12, he says, you must be righteous. To be a blessing then, entails that the focus, your focus, shifts from self-preservation, as TC pointed out, to others' involvement. You turn your cell phone, as it were, from the selfie mode, where you only see yourself, to an outing mode. Unfortunately, many of us are too busy taking selfies that only show your face to realize that there are many other people on the other side of the screen. In other words, even when things are tight or challenging with you, being one who is called to be a blessing means that there is still a river of life that is flowing from you. In John 7, 38, Jesus said that he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus here was referring to the Holy Spirit whom believers would receive as a repository in them. And then you'll remember that in, when Jesus was praying for believers in John 17, 26, he prayed this, And I've declared to them your name, and will declare it, 
that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Now this is what I'm saying. Think about a desert. It's probably as hostile as an environment as you could look for or ever find yourself in. But even in that desert, an oasis forms when a spring of water bursts forth to the ground. As the water is welling up uh, from underground, it has no choice but to come to the top and provide life-giving water to the living beings in that desert. The oasis, as it were, becomes a blessing in the desert, and this is exactly what Peter is urging the believers in chapter 3 to emulate. Our call as believers, because of the living water in us, the Holy Spirit in us, our call then is to be a blessing wherever we are, no matter how hostile or challenging it may be, and no matter how fearful we may feel, because we can't be any other way. Just like the water in the oasis in the desert gives life to the living creatures in the desert, so must we, because of the living water flowing out of us, be a blessing to those around us. A few weeks ago, I found myself in a place I've never been. We had a bereavement in my family. And in that same week, two of my friends lost their loved ones, one to COVID, one to uh, terminal illness. A friend's brother was admitted in ICU critically ill. An acquaintance in the office lost his father. And then a client called me in distress because their business had collapsed and he needed to shut it down. Now all this happened in a span of four days, believe it or not. Now I couldn't cope with the loss in my family. Uh, and yet all these people needed me to be there for them as well. And I have to confess that it crossed my mind at some point that everybody needs to deal with their own problems and leave me to deal with mine. But that still small voice quickly told me to style up and stop being selfish. That God had work for me to do, and I'd better snap out of myself and go out and do it. Yeah, I'm going through my own bereavement. I need to sort out my own problems. But that doesn't stop me from going out and being a blessing to others who need me. Perhaps there's nobody else to be there for them. When you're called to be a blessing, it doesn't have to be going well with you because it's not you doing the blessing but God through you. Please hear me on this. That when you are called to be a blessing, and you've seen from Peter, you are called to be a blessing. It doesn't have to be going well with you because it's not you who's doing the blessing. It's God, the God in you, who's going to be the one doing the blessing. You can't be a godly blessing if you've not put your flesh to death. In other words, if you've not realized that it's not about you, so that you can be made alive by the Holy Spirit and thus imitate Christ. Peter rehashes this in 1 Peter 3, 18, when he writes that Christ was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. In Philippians 2, 14, we read, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
Look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1 urges us to be imitators of Paul, imitators of him as he imitated Christ. And then if you go down to 1 Peter 4, verse 1 and 2, Peter says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, that one flesh again, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. The flesh, your flesh, will fight back when it thinks you want to bypass it to bless others. And that is exactly what Jesus did when he died on the cross. And he requires of his chosen people and of you, if you know you are a chosen one. In the midst of all that's going on around us, the natural instinct, and you Lord identify with this, is to self-preserve, self-protect, self-sustain. Jesus fought this instinct in the Garden of Gethsemane when he asked the Lord to take away the cup of suffering. But in putting his flesh to death and his call to the fore, he then declared, Not my will, but yours be done. That's in Matthew 26, 39. Similarly, for you to fulfill the call to be a blessing in this stance, and that call is out there for you, it's out there this morning, it's sounding at you as you listen to me. You must put your selfish flesh to death and invite the Holy Spirit to take over and let his will be done in and through you. Going back to Philippians 2.4, to look out for others' interests and not just your own, I want you to note the phrase, look out. If you are not looking out because you are swallowed up in yourself, you are swallowed up in yourself. You will not see areas to be a blessing. Sometimes they are not that obvious. You need to be alive to them to be aware of them. A person who is keen to be a blessing will deliberately look to see who he or she can bless. But if you are only taking selfies, you only see yourself and you won't see the opportunities that God is opening for you to answer his call to be a blessing. So my challenge to those listening to me this morning, to you as you sit there listening to me, is to ask you this. If you're that kind of a person, are you looking out? Do you walk out of the house every morning with a single purpose to see who you can be a blessing to? It may mean that despite you having your last thousand shillings, you'll give 300 shillings to that brother who has nothing to give his family. It may mean that despite your own sorrow, you will go and meet with someone who's lost a loved one and condole with them as that is the best way you can be a blessing to them. In 1 Peter 3.13, Peter asks what I think is an interesting question. He says, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? It's an interesting question because one would assume that this is a question that answers itself. Why would you be harmed because you're doing good or you're following those who are doing good? And I was thinking about uh, that uh, question 
it brought to my mind the Holocaust of the Second World War, where those who protected the Jews from the Nazi regime, despite doing what was good and what actually needed to be done, would have been harmed, and indeed many were killed by the Nazi regime when they were found out. And this is what I want to bring up, that being a blessing will be rejected by those who oppose God and his followers. Being a blessing will be, will be rejected by those who oppose God and his followers. It's important to remember that the chosen generation is in the world, but not of it. John 17, 16. And due to that, the world which has its ways is opposed to God, and the world's agents are great beneficiaries to what goes on in the world. Remember, in times of war, for instance, the ones who build the war machinery, the guns, the armored tanks, the bombs, the bullets, etc., they become greatly wealthy during the war because they are supplying the armament. And they will not necessarily be smiling with those who are preaching peace and seeking to put a stop to the war because it will ruin their business. And it's my experience uh, in my short life that when one chooses to do right in the midst of others who are doing the opposite, one must be ready to face a lot of opposition because by doing good you expose the evil. When God's marvelous light checks in, it illuminates the darkness and ejects it. The darkness will not like it and will actually attempt to switch the light off. So Peter then encourages the saints in verse 14 and 15 that they are blessed when they suffer for righteousness' sake and must be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks the reason for the hope in them. That reason I want to remind you again is in 1 Peter 2 9, which is a part of their being a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special people who proclaim God's praises after being called out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the person you're being called to be, and that's your defense for being a blessing. You must be a blessing because your identity in God demands it of you. You must be a blessing because your identity in God demands it of you. And I actually believe it should be impossible for you to be a child of God and not be a blessing in whatever way, wherever you are. I think the hindrance for us, for children of God, for the chosen people not to be blessings, not to be automatic blessings, and especially in terms of challenge times of fear, times of hopelessness, is losing sight of their identity in God, so that your flesh, one's flesh, comes to the fore and runs the show instead of the Spirit of God. By of illustration, think about Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers in Genesis 38. In Genesis 39-2, the Bible tells us that the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man in Potiphar's house. When he's thrown into prison because of Potiphar's wife's previous kids, we read in Genesis 40-23 that the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. 
But remember, Joseph is still a prisoner. He's prospering while in prison. But because of God in him, Joseph really was a blessing to the jailer. Do you then remember the story of Joseph interpreting the dreams of his fellow, of his fellow prisoners? That was Pharaoh's butler and baker. The butler is then restored to Pharaoh's court, and when Pharaoh has a dream that can't be interpreted, the butler then remembers Joseph, who he had left behind in prison. Joseph is brought before Pharaoh, and with God's help, he interpreted the dream to Pharaoh. The result is that Pharaoh in Genesis 41-37 makes this declaration. Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? It brings to life the words of Peter in 1 Peter 2.12 uh, that I referred to earlier, that having your conduct honorable among Gentiles, that they may, the Gentiles, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. What about Daniel? Well, a captive in Babylon. He is brought before King Nebuchadnezzar, who had overseen the capture of the Israelites. Again, Daniel in chapter 2 of the book of Daniel interprets the king's dream. He could have chosen not to, and to the peril of all the wise men in Babylon. But Daniel goes ahead, interprets the dream, and again the result is similar to the one of Joseph and Pharaoh. In Daniel 2, 46 and 47, we read this. The king fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets. Same outcome, glory to God. And then there is Paul and Silas in Acts 16. They are in jail, and in verse 25 we read that at around midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God as other prisoners listened to them. Suddenly a huge earthquake shook the prison doors open and shackled everyone's chains. The keeper of the prisoner thinking that the prisoners had escaped, was about to kill himself. But was stopped by Paul who shouted at him and told him that all the prisoners were present and had not escaped. Shortly thereafter, we read that Paul and Silas led the keeper of the prison and his family to a saving relationship with Jesus. All glory to God here again. Your call is to be a blessing. The call is not dependent on whether things are going well or not. Neither good nor bad is an excuse to be or not to be a blessing. It's your identity in Christ, truly knowing or understanding, appreciating, accepting, and embracing that identity that then automatically, like that oasis in the desert, makes you an outflow of living water that blesses others solely for the glory of God. You are not doing it to win a Nobel Peace Prize or to win a worldly award for outstanding service to mankind. It is to be a pointer to the marvelous light of God. And I think that is why Peter in 1 Peter 3, 15-17 urges us to always be ready to give a defense to anyone who queries the reason 
for the hope that is in you, that enables you to be a blessing to others. By sanctifying the Lord in your heart, setting the Lord apart in your heart, and which will lead to the shaming of those who revile your good conduct in Christ. I'm going back to Daniel chapter 3, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood up to King Nebuchadnezzar and told him that they would not bow down to his idol because of the God they served. That was their defense. That was the reason for their hope that their God would deliver them from the fiery furnace. And you know the story. They were saved from the fire. In Daniel 3.27, the satraps, administrators, governors, and king's counselors were gathered together to witness the destruction that never happened to the three young men. In verse 29, the king then made the decree that anyone who spoke anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be cut in pieces and their houses made an ash heap because there is no god who could deliver like this. The wicked plot to destroy the young men turned on the faces of the schemers to the glory of God. And that's the shame that Peter is referring to in 1 Peter 3.16, that by weighing the call to be a blessing, despite circumstances that are contrary to an environment for blessing, the result is a confirmation that we, the chosen generation, are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, which shames the world's attempt to prove this. As I conclude my message this morning, let me give you my summary of what 1 Peter 3 has spoken to me. You and I, as God's chosen people, by virtue of having accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, are called to be a blessing. The call to be a blessing is not determined by what you're going through, whether positive or negative. It's not determined by the pandemic. It's not determined by the harsh business environment. Being a blessing simply requires you and I to be God's agents in every situation, ready and willing for him to do what he wants through you in the situation that you're in. It doesn't matter whether you're going through challenges, whether you're fearful, it doesn't matter. God's blessings can never be discouraged or dissuaded or stopped because things are tough. As simple a thing as picking up your phone to call and pray for someone can be a bigger blessing to them than any money you could give them. Even if you're struggling financially, using a little airtime in this way will be worth the sacrifice. Obeying the call to be a blessing means that you and I need to be alert and sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading and direction. And that sensitivity is enhanced when we refuse our selfish flesh to have sway in our lives. Let me challenge you. From today henceforth, from the point at which you are going to listen to me, from this moment, Every time you pick your phone to take a selfie, ask yourself this question, who have I blessed today? Imagine what the world would be like if each of us were of one mind, as Peter asks us in verse 8, and answered this call to be a blessing. Imagine what hope there would be. 
I want to leave you with Peter's words in 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.